Well, good morning, church. I um, hope you're faring and bearing up well during this time. I hope, um, at the very least, you are able to get out and enjoy uh, the springtime. Uh, ironically, weirdly, I think it's been a beautiful spring in Richmond. Um, amazing. So I've been trying to get out and run and walk uh, every day. And um, the running and walking certainly affords you an opportunity to get some sunshine, some fresh air. But it also affords me the opportunity of my uh, favorite hobby, which is watching people. Um, so some things I've noticed. One is a lot of people are using outdoor equipment that they haven't used in a long time, and they probably shouldn't be using them. Uh, in this period, you know, we're supposed to be flattening the curve, and I'm afraid I saw a lot of people on bikes yesterday that are not going to flatten the curve, but are actually going to end up in the hospital, not because of COVID-19, but because they don't have any business being on a bicycle. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that I noticed walking around is people need some haircuts. <laughs> that uh, starting to see the comeback of the mullet on a lot of people. And uh, that's uh, a little a little disconcerting. I'm sure that uh, Amazon's probably going to start selling a lot of home haircut kits and uh, that kind of stuff. So it's it's a it's a pretty funny time how that's working. People need you know got to keep the personal grooming up. Let's get a haircut. Um, but something else I've noticed is you see families and couples together outside walking around more than you ever did. And one of the things that's been hilarious to me about that is is to try to listen as they walk by or behind us or in front of us. What are they talking about? Um, I've seen a lot of kids, look like college-age kids, out walking with their parents, and I hear the word irritate come up a lot in those conversations. If you did a word search, irritate, that would be that would be up a lot. Um, but I've also noticed, uh, one of the things I noticed yesterday, I was out running around the University of Richmond, uh, my daughter and I, and um, uh, I saw a lot of couples holding hands, which I, you know, I, at first I was stunned. I'm like, I don't know if that's social distancing or not, but I guess if you live with that person holding their hands, probably not that big a deal. But it did me good to see that. Because I, su- I suspect that for some people, uh, what uh, social distancing has done the last six weeks has made them uh, re-remember that they're married <laughs> uh, and, and who it is that they're married to. Maybe, maybe they've rediscovered that, or maybe it's made you think, uh, wow, this is a, a lonely time, an isolated time. I'd give just about anything to be married. So marriage is a big deal. In fact, I would say that uh, out of most of the decisions that you're going to make in life, uh, who you marry and who you don't marry uh, are two of the biggest decisions that you're ever going to have to, to, to make and that have the greatest impact on your life. So, uh, we, you know, we took a break the, uh, for the last two weeks for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and we looked at uh, Jesus raising Lazarus. We're back to Ezra. When I when I we started back on this, when I started looking at this Monday morning, I had forgotten. Oh yeah, we were doing this series in Ezra, right? And Ezra had just gotten back to Jerusalem, and he was just beginning some uh, reforms. They'd celebrated the Passover and the and and and, and the uh, Feast of Booze. It was a great thing, 
And so Ezra now, we're going to pick up on the story. He's been, he's been back in Jerusalem about four months. Uh, and he begins to, as he's living in the community there, he begins to figure out something's terribly, terribly wrong, right? Um, and so I want to read the first uh, three verses of Ezra 9 uh, and then uh, talk about that. And then we'll read uh, the next uh, 12 uh, through, or the, the, yeah, the next 12 verses. So uh, Ezra 9, 1 through 15, uh, we'll read the first three that should be there right in your bulletin. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. After these things had been done, the officials approached me, that's Ezra, and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. Uh, so you read that and you may, a couple of things may jump out at you. You may read that language, holy race, and that may send some uh, warning signs up to you. Wow, this sounds weird. Uh, uh, and it and it seems um, uh, yeah seems racist. Uh, it, it really isn't, and we'll 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 see why as we look uh, as we as we look a little deeper uh, into the the text. So one of the themes that you read in the Bible, uh, one of the themes that runs from the Old Testament and as we see here into the New Testament, is this problem of and the difficulty and the sin involved uh, in mar- marrying outside of the faith. And I want to say something right off the bat about this. I know this is a ticklish situation, and I know it's a um, it's sensitive, uh, difficult. Uh, and let me just say a couple of things uh, about my attitude about it at the outset, and then we'll look look at the text. First of all, to single people, uh, I honor you, uh, and I think you are due honor for obeying the Lord uh, when you desire intensely to be married. Uh, but your conscience is held captive by the word of God and you will not marry outside the faith. I think that's uh, uh, a beautiful thing, a hard thing, maybe a lonely thing, a difficult thing. But I think it's a beautiful thing that God holds in high esteem and that he honors. Uh, and so uh, to those of you who are out there who have been tempted uh, to Marry outside the faith because the desire for uh, love and the desire for children and the desire for family is, is intense and good and, and God-given. Uh, but the fact that you uh, your conscience is held captive by what we read here in Second Corinthians and then here what we've read in Ezra uh, is, uh, is an important uh, thing and a valuable thing in the eyes of God. The second thing is... Uh, as, as we, as we're going to work through this text this week and next week, and then we'll have opportunity in a few more weeks because this comes up again in Nehemiah. Uh, a couple of things to those of you who are married. Uh, one of the, one of the things to keep in mind is you, you, you can't read these texts to say, to wake up one day and to look at your marriage and think, you know, uh, I, um, I married this person who's willing to stay with me, who's willing to stay in the marriage. And I don't think they're a believer, so I'm going to divorce them because 
suddenly Steve's talked about this. It's in the Bible. I should I should dump my marriage. That's not that's not what we're going. Uh, that's not what the text is saying, uh, and that's not what uh, um, I, I, I want us to take away from that today. So. We have to ask the question, and this is a hard question in the culture in, in which we live, is why is this intermarriage between these people who are called the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all the ites there, why is that such a big deal? Well, uh, the, when, when Ezra writes this and he uses this list of all these uh, names here, he's referring to something that Moses wrote centuries earlier. Because in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as the people of God are preparing to go into the promised land, This is what uh, Moses says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. So that sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? And and the, the thing about it is what God is, is getting at here is, how important it is uh, and and how unique it is that the marriage relationship, the one flesh union that you have with another person, that that is the most important relationship in your life. And in, in, humanly speaking, and it shapes how you think, how you feel, how you work, how you live. Not to mention the fact if God is pleased to give you the gift of children, what's that going to be like for the for the rearing of children? Now, let me be clear about something. This sounds like it's a racial thing, doesn't it? That God's identifying races or ethnic groups and saying, don't marry those people. Um, but one of the things that you'll notice about this is that's not that you, it's, it's more nuanced than that. Because if you look in this, this list that, um, that, that, uh, that Ezra, uh, gives here, one of the groups, one of the people that he mentions is the Moabites. Now, you may not know much about the Moabites, but one of the most beautiful books in the Bible is entitled, named after a Moabite. In fact, a Moabite is in the lineage of King David and therefore in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that's Ruth. Okay? So... You know, one of the one of, while we're on the topic of marriage, one of the most misused passages in all of wedding history is the passage of where you go, I'll go, who your God will be, will be my God, and where you stay, I'll stay. When you read that in, at, at weddings all the time, and people are ooh and an eye. The problem about that is, what that is, that would be actually in, in proper application, the bride making that promise to her mother-in-law <laughs> because <laughs> because that's what Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi her mother-in-law after all of their husbands had died and Naomi decides to go back to live in the nation of Israel Ruth goes with her your god will be my god 
And honestly, that's the key. It has, it has nothing to do with race or ethnic origin. It has everything to do with your, your spiritual orientation, your spiritual uh, 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 citizenship. And so these people that were listed for destruction, if they repented and, and entrusted themselves to Israel's God, they were taken in and lived as a part of the community. And remember when we were, were studying uh, numbers uh, way back, I don't know, a million years ago, one of the things that was true about that was the people that, that, that were not of is, uh, 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 the race of the, the Jews that came and lived and worked and were a part of those communities, they were included. And particularly they were included uh, if they uh, uh, repented and entrusted themselves uh, to the God of Israel, right? And so so what, what Ezra is seeing here, and what's even more profound about this is, it's not just that the occasional person out there uh, in, uh, in the congregation, in the community, is marrying outside the faith. It is a large problem. Uh, and and it's even larger because leaders, he says here, that uh, um, not only the people of Israel, but the priests and the Levites have engaged in this intermarriage. Now, what makes this even worse, Ezra doesn't speak to this exactly, but uh, his contemporary Malachi, a prophet, remember the last book in the Old Testament, writes this about this situation. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is where it gets even worse. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's some indication that part of what the the priests and the Levites were doing, they were married men, married within the community of Israel, married within the the believing community. But to gain influence and power, they divorced these wives, the wives of their youth, and married into these influential families, these influential families of, of folks who were not believers. To gain some sort of influence, maybe wealth, uh, who, who knows? And so part of what's going on here is it's not just that there's an intermarriage, but in many cases there's been an ungodly and awful divorce that has happened first. And now these guys who were supposed to be leaders, spiritual leaders, are married to unbelieving wives. And they're marrying their children uh, to unbelieving husbands and wives. And so the problem with this is, is what, what, what happens is, as they do this, uh, there's inevitable drift, spiritual drift that occurs. Uh, and it provides, in many cases, uh, as uh, the, the, the text indicates, that this is going to cause a problem for succeeding generations. And as we'll see, 
this thing that's happening here, and the reason why I think Ezra uses a very similar list here in his text of the people not to marry with that Moses did in his is there's been a sense a new exodus, a new a uh, group of people coming into the to the to the land, but the same sins are occurring. Just as generations, hundreds of years before, there was the problem of uh, religious and spiritual intermarriage. It's happening all over again. That resulted ultimately in the deportation, you know, the destruction of the northern kingdom by. Um, the, the Assyrians and then the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. And even now, the resulting fact that they're really under the thumb of Persia, all of this sprang from the fact that people didn't take God's word seriously enough to avoid the sin of intermarriage. So this report has come, uh, has come to Ezra. And so I want to ask you the question then to, to think about this a little bit. What does it mean to be a distinct people, Right. What does it mean to be, as Peter says, a holy nation, a people unique, a set apart, right? So this is one of the ways this gets manifest uh, in the life, in the life of the church, right? So uh, uh, how then does Ezra react when he finds finds out about this? So picking up at verse three, he says, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. So pretty strong reaction. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery, for we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we've forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you're entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. 
And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you're just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, and none can stand before you because of this. Wow, what a what a prayer, huh? So one a couple of things to, to think about this and for us to, to to take into hand this morning. The first one is he's appalled. He's shocked when he comes and he sees uh, the sin that's here. Now you know I when was the last time you were shocked and appalled, not by, you know, your your roommates, the way they keep their room or uh, something like that, or, the you know, the particular habits that people you live with have or that sort of thing. But when was the last time you were appalled by gross sin in your life and in the life of the people that you know and love? Probably something that doesn't doesn't happen very often, right? And yet Ezra is is appalled and he sits still. There's a period really of inactivity here of grief and of shock uh, as he um, uh, takes accounting of just how terrible this thing is. And it's not just that there's been intermarriage, but there's been intermarriage among the leaders and there's been intermarriage in a situation where these people know that they're in the mess that they're in because of a, a spiritual intermarriage that happened before, right? And so he is, he's just stunned. And that's why he says, I'm ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens, right? So it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty profound uh, prayer of confession that uh, that he has here. Right now, um, one of the things that I think is uh, important for us as as we think about this is uh, one of the things that that Ezra says is that he trembles before God and he trembles before the word of God. Right. Um, when was the last time you read the Bible and God and his glory and his grace, his love for you was so clear that it made you tremble? You know, I think that's a, I think that's something that we probably don't do very often and probably something that we spend a lot of time kind of uh, protecting ourselves from allowing the word of God to run wild in my life, to touch those things in my life that are, uh, that I know are wrong, but that I hold uh, uh, very closely, right? And so Ezra is just upfront and honest with God in his confession. We don't deserve your grace. Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to look at you but I'm going to look to you because I don't have anywhere else to go. We confess our sins. So one of the, one of the things that I think would be good, a, a way for you not to waste this time, 
uh, as uh, you, as we live uh, in this weird time of social distancing, is to take this as an opportunity to spend a little more time than maybe you normally would in confession of, of, of your sin. And this confession of sin is not a bad example. Actually, it's a pretty example for us uh, uh, to take. Because I think one of the things that, that happens to us is, especially in a time of suffering and in a time of disruption, is uh, we, could, we could find ourselves uh, in, in a situation where the typical spiritual disciplines that we practice of, of confessing our sins and that sort of thing kind of ebbing away. And that we spend the majority of our time thinking, God, you're not managing this right. You, you need to get us out of this. You need to protect us. You need to heal us. You need to get us back to normal. Um, when in fact, you know, there's never a wrong time or never a bad time for us to be able to confess our sins. I, I, I looked this week in the Bible to, to find a place where God says, all right, that's enough. You've confessed your sin enough. Too much. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> right? That's enough, Steve. All right? You've been doing this now for 30 seconds. That's enough. I don't want to hear anymore, right? 30 seconds? I thought I'd been doing it for 30 minutes. Well, anyway, the, the fact of the matter is that the truth is... Uh, you know, the pathway to freedom and the pathway to deal with this sin, corporately, individually, is to confess it. That's what Ezra does. Uh, and as we'll see next week, the whole community comes together and does it, right? So, so one of the things that's, that's invaluable to us, uh, in times of struggle and in times of difficulty, is to read the word of God and to allow it to touch those things in our life that we need to confess. And listen, you know, confession may seem like a a negative exercise, but it's not. It always ends in life. So four things you can take away from this confession is that it's, it's appropriate, always appropriate to confess your sins. Always appropriate to confess your sins individually. And it's always appropriate when the community begins to see and identify something that's true of it to confess that as well. Right. Uh, one of the things that I am I am concerned about is, is that we keep, you know, desiring to get back to normal. And that troubles me a little bit. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, too. I, sometimes I think I'd just like to be able to, you know, do the things that I want to do. I like to be able to go to the grocery store without a mask. You know, wearing a mask with eyeglasses is profoundly difficult because, uh, wow, I just, they just fog up all the time. And I can't, yeah, anyway. And so I get frustrated about things like that. And I'm like, when am I going to be able to go to the grocery store without a mask on my face? Um, and so I want to get back to normal. Well, I want to propose to you now that maybe normal is not a good thing for us to get back to. Um, Maybe this disruption provides us with an opportunity to make a break with some bad habits, make a break with some sins and make a break with some false desires and idols that we've been worshiping uh, to now be able to confess that and to experience a little bit of renewal going forward. Right. And that's true of us both as individuals and true of us uh, uh, corporately as well. 
Secondly, confession always takes sin seriously. Notice what Ezra sees here is he sees that God has been good. He sees that God's been blessing them, that God's been providing them, that God's been incredibly patient with them. Uh, uh, and he doesn't hide anything. He doesn't whitewash it, right? He calls it what it is. Uh, he, he is very direct uh, about identifying the fact that these people have done this thing. He's a part of that. He's involved in that, even though he's not married someone uh, uh, outside of the faith. He feels that, though, as a part of his community. He's a part of that community. And he takes this sin seriously. And he because he believes that God takes it seriously. We know that God takes sin seriously because Jesus died. You always have to ask the question, anytime you consider the gospel, anytime you consider the cross, what is it about me that caused Jesus to have to die? Thirdly, uh, we see that his confession is accompanied with and even heightened by grace. Because when he considers that God has been gracious to them, that he's brought them back there, that he has, he's given them a little grace, a little reviving, as he says there in the, in the remnant, uh, he recognizes that the sin uh, grows even greater because of God's kindness to them. They've acted as if there was no God or that he had no say on their lives or that he was no Lord uh, at all. And then ultimately here, what we see him is, is uh, he just completely casts himself on the mercy of God, right? And that, that's, that may seem weak and that may seem uh, scary to us, but it is always good for us to fall into the hands of a merciful God. And it's always good for us to recognize that we live and we breathe and we eat and we sleep and we work all because of the grace and mercy of God. We have our sins forgiven. God considers us. He sees us. He hears us because he's merciful, not because we deserve it. Because God's heart overflows with mercy uh, towards his people. And so one of the things that keeps us, I think, from being as quick to confess and throw ourselves upon the mercy of God uh, is the presumption that we often have with the gospel that says, uh, it doesn't matter, it's taken care of. One of the reasons why you lack power in your life, one of the reasons why you lack joy in your life is you don't and I don't confess our sins Spend time seeing what it is that Jesus has done to redeem and then respond uh, uh, in, in joy with sins forgiven. Psalm 32 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Some of the sweetest prayer times we ever have in the session when the elders get together to meet is when we are dealing with one another or with someone who is struggling or maybe not struggling with unrepented sin that we pray that God's hand would be heavy upon them, that their strength would be dried up as by the heat of summer. 
It is a mercy of God for his hand to be heavy upon us when we are unrepenting, when we are refusing to acknowledge our sin. Uh, We often will pray that God will make the world bitter so that we will turn away from that which is robbing us of life. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And so, Lord, it is a good thing when your hand is heavy on me to lead me to repent, right? I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, right? So I think it's a great thing for us to to, to see here and to think about the, the opportunity that we might have uh, in the coming days uh, to confess our sins, to spend time doing that, uh, rather than spending our time trying to focus on, you know, um, well, just managing life. Uh, maybe one of the things that will be really great about this will be the opportunity for us to confess our sins to one another and certainly certainly to the Lord. Um, and, and let me just say something about that to those of you who are um, married, living in, in homes with people you're married to and uh, people who are your children or your grandchildren, that sort of thing at, at this time. Uh, I don't know what the final outcome of how all this stuff is going to change us and how we'll re- reorient our, ourselves going forward. Uh, but one of the things that I would love to see, and I think that God would love to see, that I'm praying towards is that, this, that God would renew uh, and deepen families uh, and marriages in particular in a profound way during this time. And one of the ways that I think he could do that is if we would be quick uh, to confess our sins to each other. Um, you know, the, the irritability factor in this time is, uh, uh, is pretty high. Um, and, uh, one of, one of the things that I have found about myself is, uh, um, just really quick on the trigger when I get home, uh, to be irritated. Um, so one of the great things about having Marty at home is she's doing all these projects around the house and, uh, cleaning things up and, you know, part of the part of one of the problems is we're collecting all this stuff to take to Goodwill, which we can't take to Goodwill because Goodwill's not taking anything. So we've got it looks like we're moving because we've got all this stuff all over the house. So sometimes it's hard to walk through rooms in the house without as I walked in with my gym bag one day and I bumped into some stuff and knocked a bunch of stuff over in the floor. First thing when I walked in the, the door Um and so my response to that was to be kind of snappish, but also to take my gym bag and block the rest of the path through the room just to demonstrate in my irritable way, all right, you're going to put this here, so I'm going to bump into it when I come in. I'm going to make it sure that no one can walk through here, right? Really mature. Uh, uh I'm going to write that in my book that I write on marriage someday as a great strategy of how to love your wife uh, and encourage encourage things. Uh, 
Um, and so what I realize about that is, you know, um, I am such a weak person. It doesn't take very much for me to be irritated. All right. Um, so what would be a better thing to do is to understand the mercy and the grace of God in that moment and to repent. Right. Uh, and to see this as an opportunity to deepen intimacy with God and with my spouse through the God-given gift of confession and repentance, right? So let's let's take a moment now and pray that God would deepen our relationships, uh, not just with Him but with one another, through this great gift of confession and repentance. Would you Would you pray with me? And then we'll go straight into. Uh, our confession of sin that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Lord, we we confess to you that uh, confession is not something that we are quick to do. We confess to you that um, unlike our brother Ezra, uh, we might tend to manage our sin or to cover it up or to presume upon your grace or to act like it's just simply not that big a deal. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Jesus, you love the repentant. You love uh, to hear the confession of your people. You love to see people turn from sin to you. And I pray that by your spirit, you would uh, give us uh, that gift. Uh, I pray that particularly for the people that we are closest to, uh, the people in our families, in our marriages, in our, our roommates, our friends, uh, that we would be... Uh, uh, well, slow to criticize, slow to complain, but quick to confess uh, and repent of our sins uh, together. And so, Lord, would you do that? And now as we uh, join our hearts and voices together through our confession of sin, oh, Lord, we want to see you face to face, awed by your majesty, greatness and glory, humbled and encouraged by your great love. Yet there's a coldness in our hearts a hardness toward you, an unwillingness to admit our sin and need for you. As soon as a good thing comes from your hand, we make an idol of it. As soon as we feel our lack, we craft the same. Forgive us for Jesus' sake. Come near and strengthen us until Christ reigns supreme within us in every thought, word, and deed. Give us a faith that purifies the heart, overcomes the world, works by love, fastens us to you, and always clings to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.